We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Why keeps it, lost it to the end zone, touchdown! Travis Tannehill! After the play, back of the chip, back of the end zone, touchdown, K-State and Tannehill! Trailing number 18 by three. Line, throws, wide open Tannehill. Tannehill's got it down inside the 15-yard line. Line, on the run, all caught. Tannehill is tied in. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you're listening from, if you're here on Wildcat 91.9, or if you're listening directly on the podcast here at Settling the Score on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Podbean app, thank you all for tuning in, and if you couldn't tell by the intro, we have a very special guest on the show today. Please help me welcome former Kansas State football tight end and Big 12 champion Travis Tannehill. Travis, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, Colin. How are you, buddy? Doing all right? I mean, I can't complain. The whole, you know, COVID thing is kind of a mess, but still, surprisingly. But, I mean, I'm not I'm not doing too bad. I'm not doing too bad. Nice. But, here, so, yeah, a little bit of a mess. Yeah, yeah, I was going to... I thought we were out of the weed, and I don't, I don't know if we're out of the weed yet. Yeah, I was going to I was gonna ask you about that, because there were, what, five? There were ten confirmed in Manhattan, I think, and there were, like, five on the football team. I didn't know if you knew anything about that. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I think there was a couple different numbers that got reported, but, yeah, five, six, eight. I think I saw all, all three of those numbers thrown out. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know a whole lot other than I think there, there's a decent amount of protocol in place. So, from what it sounds like, the guys who were diagnosed with it or, or, or tested positive, um, they were never really in contact. They hadn't been in the facility yet. They hadn't worked out with the team yet. So, that's a good thing. They got the systems in place and they got the structure set up where, you know, you're going to have to pass that test in order to get um, able to work out. So, it's not like they caught it early enough. Kind of my thoughts is I guess I'd rather know who has it than assume everyone doesn't have it and a couple guys do have it. So, yeah, I I was kind of surprised, but I'm glad that you know they caught it. Like you said, they caught it early, and they're you know they're wearing masks. They have the hand sanitizer. You know they have all that stuff set up, like you were saying. So I don't think it's going to be much of an issue going forward here. But let's backtrack a little bit because you're you're originally from Olathe, and you're, you're an OE guy. You know you came and played at K State from 2009 to 2012. You played in three consecutive bowl games, which is incredibly impressive. You know what was the the thought process like in coming to K-State and how do you think, you know, because obviously, you know, you go from, you know, Snyder now to Kleiman. How do you think the the culture has changed since, you know, the late 2000s when you were there up until now? Do you think it's been for the better or for the worse? Yeah, I mean, kind of, I'll kind of start from the beginning there, kind of how I got to, to K-State. And I'm a Kansas City kid and I kind of, really, I was more about geographical than probably Recruiting's changed a lot since then, so if you're following recruiting now, it's totally night and day from when I was coming out of high school in 2008. It's a lot bigger deal now. It's a lot, um, you just, kids have more information. There's, there's more uh, data out there, to, and it's kind of just a bigger decision now than it was 
um, you know, even 12, 13 years ago. But um, my biggest thing was geography. So I wanted to be a few hours away from home, but not in my back door. So I didn't really want to go to KU because they were 30 minutes away from Olathe. Um, I didn't really want to, I wanted to be two to three hours away. So that really just left like, you know, K-State, Nebraska, Missouri, Oklahoma State, kind of those uh, those Big 12 schools in the air. I remember like TCU recruited me and they were even like a little too far for my comfort level. So um, Missouri kind of had their tight end. Uh, Nebraska had their tight end. And so K-State was kind of, um, I don't want to say it was, you know, my only option, but it was my best option on the table um, at that point. Actually, I was a Coach French recruit. So um, I got recruited by Coach French. He got fired right before I came in. Um, and so, yeah, Coach Snyder, obviously I had him all four years. It was a great experience. Um, from a culture standpoint, I don't know if you said, you know, better or worse. I don't know if um, that's a fair, you know, argument or a fair description of what's happening. I just think it's different. Um, I think, you know, Coach Snyder was a little more of the, uh, the rule setter, you better follow the rules, get in line, you know, this is how we do things. If you don't want to be uh, a part of this uh, a part of this team, if you don't want to follow these rules, then, you know, there's the door. Where Coach Kleiman gives a little longer leash, he kind of lets the kids be as successful as they want to be, and he's like, hey, this is your team. If you guys want to win, you're going to, you know, you're going to do what's right. So I don't necessarily think it's, you know, better or worse or right or wrong. I think it's just, it's just different. So obviously, you know, you see those typical players, coaches out there, you know, you see the parents. Pete Carroll's, um, who were always, you know, players, Andy Reid, the players coach, um, and then you see the Nick Sabans of the world, who, you know, run as tight a ship as anyone, and, and has more success than, you know, arguably any college football coach in history, so I think they both can work in, in their um, in their right systems, um, obviously it worked great for Coach Schneider, and I think it's working for Coach Kleiman, you know, the time will tell, but I think we're heading in the right direction with him, um, and obviously it worked well for him in the past. Yeah, you were talking about, you know, Missouri already, Missouri already had their tight end, you know, didn't want to go to TCU. You know, looking at looking at that that roster that you play with, he had guys like Zach Trujillo and Nima Chak, all those guys. Was that tight end group like as tight as some of us think it is? Or that, how how close was that that Because I mean you look at the the 2011 2012 teams, and those are probably some of the more significant years of K State football that we've seen you know, since probably 1998, you know, what was, what was that, that team like, especially that, that tight end group? Yeah. I mean, I was fortunate, you know, as, as you know, you're, you're kind of, you know, people always ask, like you said before about Coach Schneider and Coach Klein, they're like, really, you don't, as a player, you don't interact with them that much. Um, you know, there's really are the CEO of the company and of the team, you know, they're kind of, they're handling with their coordinators and the positions coach. And it really is kind of a top down, um, you know, leadership style where he's, he's making some decisions in meetings that the players aren't in, um, and then he, he's expecting the positions coaches to, to go out there and execute that game plan and execute, um, you know, those strategies that they're putting together in their offensive and defensive staff meetings. So, um, but yeah, so our, our, your group, your, your position group and your position coach is everything. I and mean, I would encourage any recruits out there, um, you know, it's probably less important who your head coach is and more important that you get along with your position coach. So, um, but I was fortunate in my freshman year when I had Jaron Mastrude, um, who was an all-Big 12 caliber player, um, played four or five years in the NFL. Um, he really took me under his wing just from a talent standpoint and, you know, taught me how to work, taught me how to, you know, tight ends coming out of high school, don't know how to block. So he taught me how to block, taught me, you know, how to, how to play, play tight end, really. Um, and I had some great coaches in Ricky Ronnie, um, who was a great coach. Coach Dillon was a good coach for me. So, uh, but specifically that 20, 
2012 season. I mean, yeah, we had me, we had uh, Andre McDonald, we had Trujillo, um, Nemechek. I think at that point, even the tight ends and the fullbacks were all in one room. So, Braden Wilson is one of my good buddies. We had great chemistry. Um, so, yeah, no, it was a great room. Uh, we had a lot of guys that we had some young guys who were uh, getting trained up. And so, no, it was. It was a great room. We had a lot of fun. Uh, it's uh, you know, that was my senior year. So by the time you're a senior, you kind of mentally, you know where you need to be and what you need to do. You just got to go out and do it. So meetings as a freshman are really stressful because you get called out for not knowing stuff all the time. But once you're a senior, those meetings are pretty fun because you get to, uh, you know, just really work on your game and study the defense more. You're a little, you're a little less worried about who the heck am I supposed to block, and you're a little more worried about you know some of the the more finite details of defenses and offenses and how you're going to, uh, you know, expose that defense or, or execute that offensive play. I mean, you were talking about that, that 2012 season. I mean, going back to, you know, 2010, you made a bowl game, 2011, there was a bowl game. And then obviously, you know, 2012 is the big, the big 12 championship season. I mean, did you guys know that those like, or what was, what was the feeling going into those seasons? Did you guys know that, you know, something, I mean, obviously you want to expect to win, right? But did you guys expect that you were going to be as good as you were for those like few seasons when you think about it you're you know first off you're just trying to survive summer workouts you're literally just trying to survive the next 45 minutes of running when it's 110 degrees outside and then you get into training camp and you're just trying to survive training camp and so you kind of almost don't even have time to think or and you know it's weird because you do know everything's possible you know, anyone can beat anyone on any, on any given day. So you do see it. And if you can just find a way to play your tail off for, you know, 12 Saturdays a year, you know, you in theory, any team could go undefeated. So you always know there's a chance, but then you also know that you might buy sophomore year. Um, you know, my freshman year, we didn't uh, we didn't make a bowl game. And so, it's a, you know, you set the, the bar as, you know, let's make a bowl game. Let's, let's win six games. And so, yeah, you do kind of uh, step that, uh, those goals up along the way, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, in the back of your mind that you know, why not us? Why not you know? Really, in the Big Twelve too, back then, and you know, still for the most part now. I mean, anyone can really beat anyone, and then you just kind of find a way to knock off OU. I mean, it's a pretty even playing field once you get past OU and some in some years Texas. So if you can just take care of business on you know those fifty fifty ball games, and then find a way to knock off you know, I've always very talented OU team, then next thing you know, you know you're sitting at, you know, the top of the Big 12. So, in the back of your mind, you always know that. Uh, there's going to be competitive ball games in the Big 12, as always. So, um, but then also vice versa. You know, you can drop a game to, you know, a West Virginia or Texas Tech or, you know, they have up years and down years. They can catch you on a down year um, and they can knock you off and, you know, spoil a, a season, you know, a nine, an eight, nine, ten win season that should have been turned into a seven win season and that's not the, you know, that's not where he wants to be. So, yeah, you, you do think about it. I do remember um, before that senior year, I remember Coach Klein, um, Colin Klein, now Coach Klein, getting up there and kind of giving a little speech about, you know, why not us? And there's no reason. Look, he pulled out the schedule and said, we can beat them. We can beat them. We have more talent than them. We're better than them. Um, there is no reason we cannot run the table this year. And he believed it. I believed it. Everyone in that room believed it. And we almost did it. Um, but it was uh, that was probably the first year where I think the guys truly believed, almost expected, you know, to win every game. You expect to compete every game, and you win some, you lose some. But that was probably the first year we felt we were talented enough and had worked hard enough, um, and kind of put the pieces together where we could knock off, uh, you know, very good ball ball, game, ball teams, you know, uh, consistently. 
you know, you were talking about, you know, Colin Klein, a guy that I wanted to bring up, you know, because when you think of that, that 2012 see that big 12 championship season, I, I, my mind immediately goes to him. What was it like catching passes, you know, from a Heisman finalist, you know, a guy that, that was probably close to setting records and, and all that good stuff. But what was it, what was it like just playing with him? A guy that, you know, seems like, you know, a natural born leader. Well, what was he like on the field? I mean, yeah, it's kind of what you just said, natural born leader and a, um, you know, a fierce competitor. We've all heard the stories, you know, kind of the classic, you know, the Tim Tebow, whatever, the, the stories that would uh, travel around him, just how competitive he was. And, you know, Colin had a little bit of that too, where, you know, he's the nicest guy in the world off the field. Um, you know, he's a, he's as a plus guy as they come, works his tail off. But if there's a ball involved, or if there's, if there's a hacky sack involved, if there's a golf ball involved, you know, we're, he's playing to win. And he doesn't care who you are. He's trying to take you out. So it's funny guys like that who do have that softer personality off the field. But, you know, the moment they step on the field, it's, it's you know, the gloves are off and we're in a dogfight. So uh, those kind of guys are pretty easy to rally behind. Um, you know, we, we've all had teammates that kind of talk a lot but don't, don't necessarily back it up in their actions or off the field. And, uh, you know, he was the exact opposite, opposite of that. He, he – he developed as a vocal leader throughout his uh, throughout his career. He didn't, you know, he, I wouldn't say he was he's a naturally born, um, you know, gifted verbal leader as a freshman when he walked in, like some guys are. So he earned it the right way. You know, he earned everyone's respect and um, you know earned, earned his cap, earned that C on his chest. And then your quarterback's always going to your quarterback has to be the leader. If your quarterback's not a leader, um, then you don't really have a, a very good shot of winning a whole lot of ball games, in my opinion. So. Uh, but no, it was a whole lot of fun, and you know he's one of the guys that I've stayed uh, I've stayed in touch with throughout the years. Um, actually, I had sushi with him for lunch today, so uh, <laughs> I could have. You should have sent me. You should have sent me the text before the the, the questions before this. I could have. I could have gotten you on the inside. A little oh bit, my but, gosh, that uh, would have been that would have been incredible. No, yeah, yeah. no, you're good. You're good. Uh, so yeah, no, we stay in touch. My wife and his wife are best friends. Our sons are the same age, so um, he's a guy that I enjoy doing life together with, and that's what that's what I know. Just speaking with him about work and, and him as a coach, I mean, he's he's just such a good coach. Not only X's and O's, but he really does. He's in it for the right reasons. He wants to change kids' lives. Um, you know, that's why high school coaches become coaches, and that's why most college coaches should become coaches. Yes, he wants to win. Yes, he knows it's important, or he loses his job. Um, but he's in there. He gets to take 18-year-olds and throughout four to five years, you know, mold them um, and be a good positive influence on them and really change them into men over that four or five years, which I think, you know, we all love winning football games, but um, at the end of the day, that's something that Coach Snyder was good at, was, you know, turning boys into men through football, and that's what I think. Coach Klein has got that same attitude as well, and, uh, you know, common goal of winning and, you know, being a team player and all those lessons that you can learn from playing football. Um, that whole coaching staff has that attitude. Now, I don't want to bait you in anything here, and this can be a simple yes or no question, but do you think he should have won the Heisman? Uh, I used to. Yeah. <laughs> if there is any looking back now that we know how much of a shenanigans Johnny Mandel was, in my opinion, one Colin arguably had better on the field statistics than Johnny did, and two, if there's any type of character weight added to that trophy, night and day Colin should have won that. So yep, no, I, I, at the time I was like, yeah, I can kind of see both arguments. I can see Colin winning. I can see Johnny winning. Now, knowing what we know now about Johnny and how big of a knucklehead 
he at least was, I don't know if he still is, but at least <laughs> was at the time, then, no, I think, uh, hands down, if there's any type of character posted on that trophy, I think Colin should have got it, which would have been cool for K-State, man. That would have been awesome. That would have been super cool to have a Heisman Trophy winner here. I mean, you heard it first from Travis Tannehill, Colin Klein should have won the Heisman. When we come back, I'm going to take it back and we're going to talk some of the other Big 12 championship teams. Stay tuned. Welcome back if you're just now joining us. I'm your host, Colin Settle, here on Wildcat 91.9, talking with former Kansas State tight end Travis Tannehill. Now, Travis, for the break, I I just want to know, because I had... Uh, Tate from K-State Nightly on a few weeks ago, and we had a big debate on the best Big 12 championship team. And and the question I want to pose to you is we had a whole debate on it. Do you think that your Big 12 championship team could possibly beat the 98 team in a head-on-head, like a one-on-one head-on-head matchup, or even the 2003 team for that matter? Oh, I mean, that's such a... Those teams were pretty good back then. <laughs> we'll put it that way. I mean, we, we had a lot of guys on our team, but, man, they were they had a lot of dudes on those teams as well. So it, it probably comes to a matchup thing. You know, if, you know, maybe they had a I – don't, I don't know their whole roster front, front to top, bottom to top, but, you know, if they had a weak corner, and, you know, obviously if we got Lockett on our side, then, you know, we can expose that, or vice versa. I don't necessarily remember who was playing, you know, defensive end for us back in the day. Um, back in 2012, but maybe they had, uh, obviously they had Sproles during that time, so they probably would have ran all over us with Sproles, but, um, so yeah, no, there were, those were, I'm not giving an answer on that one. Both those teams, you know, the 98 and the 03 were, you know, awesome teams. 2012 was an awesome team. I don't want to discredit anything they, they did because they did some amazing things, and uh, I don't want to discredit us because we did some amazing things, so, uh, respectfully, I will decline to answer that, <laughs> uh, but I think, I think it'd be a heck of a ball game either way. I, I respect your answer. I really do. <laughs> Graduated in 2012. You know, you ended up getting picked up by the Browns for a little bit, if I'm not mistaken. What is it like going through that process of, you know, you know whether or not you're going to get drafted, whether you're entering the draft, what's that decision like? And, you know, ultimately, if and when you do get, you know, picked up by an NFL team, whether to be on you know, a practice squad, whether to be, you know, on, on the active roster. What is that, what is that process like? Looking back, it, it, it's a little weird because you are, when you're, first and foremost, you're focused on finishing off your season. I mean, I'm, especially if you're having a winning season. I can see why guys who are seniors and they're playing on a ball team, a bad team, kid, you know, maybe get a little distracted, maybe try to, you know, start playing a little soft, trying not to get hurt, looking after themselves instead of their team. I mean, obviously, whenever millions of dollars are involved and, and so that's why I really think it's important to have a winning team where you're playing after a common goal because honestly there wasn't any of that in our locker room we were all trying to win a big goal championship and honestly that year we were trying to make it to the national championship so we had a shot at that so but no I mean looking back it's kind of a whirlwind I mean you know you interview some agents you find one that you think you know like and trust that world the agent world has gotten a little um, more regulated I guess you could say uh, where there's not a whole you know for the you know fourth through seventh round, I mean they don't care who your agent is. They're they're looking at your film. They're trying to you know pick out the guys that they can make a roster. So um, they got an agent. You go down. You go train somewhere. I flew down to uh, Houston for three four months to um, you know train for pro day and, and get ready for training camp. So that was a good experience. Um, and then yeah, you kind of sit around. And I always knew I, I was 
told and projected that I would be a you know seventh rounder or free free agent. So that was kind of where I was slotted. It also helped. One of my other best friends is he's a regional scout for the Raiders and was a scout at that point. So he's an old case. He was a K State backup quarterback, but now he's in the front office side of the Raiders. So he was giving me a little bit of a little bit of in, just intel on myself, just like hey, this, realistically, this is where you're probably going to go. Um, you know, this is kind of where. I think you'd be slotted. And so he was helping a little bit, you know, just from a friend to friend, off the record type of thing. But you get a phone call, and uh, if you don't get drafted, obviously you get drafted, you go to whoever picks you. But if you don't get drafted, a couple teams call your agent. I think I had Denver, Indianapolis, Cleveland, um, maybe Jacksonville, I think, um, you know, wanted to sign me. Um, There's a small signing bonus involved in that type of transaction. So really you're just kind of looking at rosters and saying, who can I, you know, what, what, which roster do I have the best shot to make? And at that point it was Cleveland. They had uh, Jordan Cameron was their starter, who was a pretty good, uh, a pretty good tight end. He actually got knocked out of the league due to concussion. After that, it was pretty wide open. So flipped Cleveland, you know, did the whole thing, made it to the last cut and got cut, unfortunately. Um, so got really close and definitely left everything out there. Had a few more tryouts with uh, like the Jets and the Chiefs, but I was always the kind of guy, like, hey, I'm going to give it one year. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. There's plenty of other ways to make money in this world. So um, gave it my gave it my one shot. I wasn't going to wait a whole other cycle to try to make it again. So uh, moved on, started the, you know, into the business world, and here we are. Yeah, Travis Tannehill with me here. I just have a few more questions here before I let you go. A lot of uh, states and colleges and all this other stuff, just, just coming back into today's realm now, are starting to open up and allowing for athletes to have endorsements and be able to make money outside of the university and stuff like that. Do you think that, you know, with more states opening up with this, do you think we're going to see more of a domino effect or what do you think this is going to, is going to do for the athletic world? Yeah, I know. I haven't, I've seen the stuff coming out of Florida that you mentioned about, um, you know, the endorsement deals. And I don't, I'm a little confused on how long that's going to like, is there going to be a limit? Because, I mean, like, you talk, you know, you talk, you know, a big-time player. I mean, you talk Tim Tebow in his prime as a junior or senior whenever he graduated. I mean, his, you know, his marketing, I mean, he could have million-dollar marketing deals as a college kid. I mean, so it's, is it going to be capped? I, I have no idea. So I'll just be curious. I mean, I don't think it's very smart to hand a, hand a 22-year-old a million dollars for a marketing deal when he's got a locker room full of guys that are dead broke. Because they're broke college kids, so I can just see uh, some complications in that area. And, and I don't know. I mean, it's, my idea was always, you know, let's pay them a living wage, fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars a year, um, whatever that number is, and they get it when they graduate. So um, if they graduate, then they got you know one hundred fifty thousand dollars signing bonus sitting at the end of graduation. So uh, that was kind of always my idea to incentivize guys to um, to graduate. So my biggest I would love to see the NCAA somehow put into effect, uh, kind of like how the military does, you know, with the VA, uh, you know, all their health care is paid for. You know, a lot of these guys are coming out with, you know, bad knees, bad backs, bad shoulders, um, you know, head trauma from concussions. And a lot of these players, you know, hopefully they go out in the real world and can get a job with benefits and all that fun stuff, but a lot of them don't. Um, a lot of them work a, work a job that doesn't have health benefits, and they're on their own paying out of pocket for their health care. So, um, I would love to see some of these guys uh, somehow set up an endowment where, uh, you know, your health care is paid for, for for the rest of your life or, you know, stipend, you know, you get 300 bucks a month to go toward your health care or whatever that number is. 
just because there's a lot of guys laying their body out on the line, and they're not getting paid, and they're not getting anything, um, and then they're having to deal with chronic pain and chronic injuries, you know, from age 35 to their 90s. So um, that's kind of the one thing I would like to see added. No one's ever really talked about it, like, on the national level. So I don't think we're anywhere close to that ever happening. But, yeah, let's start paying guys a little bit. Let's not get too crazy, though. That's my opinion. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're a former D1 collegiate player, so, I mean, you would have more knowledge and opinion on that sort of thing than than most of us do and the last thing that i kind of wanted to touch on i reached out to some inside sources that may or may not be related to you and (laughs) speaking of of those three bowl games you played i just want to take it back to 2010 the pinstripe bowl in new york and i was told that you had some sort of a sickness before that game, if you could elaborate on that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, what night was that? I don't know. Let's, let's assume we played on a Saturday. I don't know what day we played on. Um, so it must have been, it would have been like Wednesday night. So three, three nights before game day, we're still, bowl games are semi-vacation, semi-work, um, at least for the first few days you're there. So, um, you know, we get to go out and go out to eat and, um, you know, curfews midnight or one or something like that. So um, we were in New York City, obviously, uh, you know, Kansas kids. I thought that was pretty cool. Never been to New York City. I've uh, been to New York City. I never really want to go back to New York City. But uh, so we were just out. I don't know what we were doing. Just sightseeing. I think we went and saw uh, Madison Square Garden um, just to see it. Walking back, and I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm a tourist. Like, I'm going to eat a hot dog in New York City. So they had a big snowstorm, so I'm sure this hot dog stand guy – pulled out the nastiest, oldest hot dog he'd ever, um, he needed to get rid of. The one that had been sitting there for three days because he hadn't been selling a whole lot of hot dogs. Uh, so I eat it, all sounds good, you know, taste fine, whatever. And about two in the morning, I wake up and, um, it's the hot dog's coming up, we'll put it that way. <laughs> um, I, I threw up all night. Uh, I, to this day, I think Coach Snyder thought I, like, went out and partied. Um, because, I mean, I was, I was sick. I mean, I, I missed. I missed, we had a walkthrough at 9 a.m. the next morning, practice at 9 a.m. I missed practice the next day. Um, I think he thought I, I went out, which was the farthest thing from the truth. I was like, I swear, I didn't do anything. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was a fight. You know, I puked all over my roommate's bed, and it, it was a bad situation. But we were still good. You know, it was thankfully it wasn't like the night before a game. That would have been horrible. Um, there was enough time to, you know, get food in me and get rehydrated. Uh, we, were, we were good to go. Travis Tannehill, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been an honor to talk, you know, with somebody that I that I grew up watching play. That really, you know, inspired me to get into into the old K State football type thing. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Do you have any parting words that you would like to uh, tell the visitors? I do not. I mean, I would just I would just encourage. I mean, as we've seen, this whole college football is amazing. Sports in general are amazing, and none of it, the numbers don't make sense unless there's butts in the seats at the games, um, as we're seeing. So, as much as the coaches are awesome, the players are awesome, at the end of the day, it's still a fan. Um, you know, you, us, the fan, and now I'm a fan, so um, us, the fans, we get to, you know, we decide, you know, how relevant this K-State team wants to be. So, fill that stadium as much as they will let us this fall. Um, that home field advantage definitely does matter. Uh, as a player, I can tell you that those players, you know, really feed off of that energy. Um, and then once we can get back to full capacity at that stadium, whether it's this fall or next fall or two or three falls down the road, you know, maybe just make sure Manhattan's a place to be reckoned with and that Bill Snyder Family Stadium's 
rocking and rolling and super loud and causing some issues for that offense and defense. So that's about my last words. Make sure we're supporting those boys because they work their tail off and it's a whole lot of fun when they're winning. I just want football. That's that's it. That's the bottom line. Whether 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 I'm in the stands or not, man, I just want football in the fall. <laughs> Thank you all. You and me both. Yeah. I'm your host, Colin Settle, along with Travis Tannehill. Follow us on social media, on Twitter at Score Settling, or join the Facebook page at Settling the Score. Thank you all for listening in once again on Wildcat 91.9, and we will see you next time.